This is Annabelle Guberti and you are listening to Lawfully Creative, my podcast to talk with professionals in the creative industries, to hear their stories, what inspires their creation, what decisions change their careers, what relationships influence their work. Today's episode is brought to you by Crefervy, our London and Paris-based law firm focused on advising the creative industries. Subscribe to our podcast, Lawfully Creative, or catch up with our original shows on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher, YouTube, Anchor, and many more podcast aggregators and platforms. Please do leave a review and rating about our podcast to encourage others to discover our curated content. Thank you. On the thief of... June 2019, I had the pleasure of meeting with Bob McDade, who is the co-founder of the music talent agency Manners McDade. He founded this agency a long time ago with his life partner, Ms. Manners, and turned it into one of the music talent uh, powerhouses of the UK. They also have presence in Los Angeles, as they will, um, Bob will explain during the, uh, the podcast. And um, Manners McDade has become one of the go-to purveyors of musical talent in the UK for um, video content producers, such as advertising agencies, uh, brands, film directors documentary directors etc so for whenever you need some audio content customized audio content for your video content your video footage then you can reach out to bob and um, his team in order to uh, obtain some uh, customized music scores and um, and recordings so yeah it was fantastic to meet up with uh, uh, such a, um, a prestigious member of the uh, uh, UK music industry and I had a delightful time with Bob on the 5th of June as you will uh, witness by listening to the uh, following podcast. Oh, do you want me to start? Okay. Hello podcast <laughs> listeners, I, am, I have the pleasure of being in the presence of the imminent Bob McDane, uh, co-founder of the film music and advertising music agency Manners McDade, but he co-founded with his wife, Miss uh, Manners, Catherine, 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 Catherine Manners. Manners. It's a delight to be in his presence because he's a man who, who, who has a lot of knowledge on, uh, on this field. I came across Bob um, working on, uh, on uh, a deal for a client who, who is a music uh, a composer in the advertising business a year and a half ago and um, Bob was, uh, was very resourceful in, um, in providing his um, insightful view on, um, on how a music composer can get or not an agent. So too kind. <laughs> I'll take it. Over to you, Bob. Uh, yes, as you say, uh, um, we have been approaching our twentieth year of operation now. We founded in two thousand and one. Uh, we started off with one client, right, uh, and that was a composer who had, through his friendship with a director, long-term friendship, had. Um, been offered the opportunity to score a film for Disney 
Wow. And yeah, it was a big leap in his career. And he was doing it. Hmm? A friendship with. Uh, oh, well, well uh, composers often have a at least one friendship with a director or a producer who takes them to each subsequent project. Fantastic. Um, I wish I could remember his name, but Matthew Herberts, the composer, uh, he has just scored Gloria Bell, which is on at the cinema at the moment, Julian Moore, and that's a friendship with a Chilean director whose name has escaped me. His first film was A Fantastic Woman, and then he oh, did... Oh yes, I watched it. It's a lovely film, film. Uh, and then he did Disobedience, um, and now Gloria Bell. Uh, Rachel... Vice and, and Vice, yes. Rachel McAdam, yes. That's right, yes. Right, a beautiful film, actually. Um, oh, yes. So, uh, so, oh, so it's really on his first so, year. So, like, composers often have, yes, it was, well, he'd done one film before, but it was a while ago, and he, things haven't worked out as he would have liked, and I think he was, um, he stepped back for a while. Okay. And went back to making albums and, and DJing and playing gigs, etc. Uh, and then that opportunity came on. But my point was, yes, just about every composer we represent will have at least one strong association with a director. And that director will take them on subsequent projects, whether TV or film. It's fantastic. And so, for you, you just said that that was your first client. Ooh. You mentioned that composer. So for you, clients are actually the composers, clients are not the, uh, the, end, the end clients, no. i.e. the brands or the, uh, uh, well, the film directors or the film production company. No, it's, it, our, our clients are the composers who are signed with us for representation. I see. And that was how we started as a composer agency because that project went well and he would tell his friends, so a friend of his asked if we would represent him and it just grew from there. Really. And that was for about eight years, and so we had quite a large roster. Yeah. And then we found our clients were asking us if we knew good publishers. And there, there aren't really any specialist publishers in media music. Okay, so would you mind explaining to us in, in lay terms, layman terms, what that means uh, in the context of film music compositions, publishing? I mean, would that be like managing the relationships with the likes of PRS, the Collecting Society yes, for, for um, um, uh, basically composers and, lyri and lyricists, I suppose, yeah. and, and also making sure that the royalties come in and are being paid on a... But it's also, well, because we also then go to publish them, then our relationship goes all the way through the commission, so we would start off with uh, negotiating the actual contracts for the job. Contra uh, negotiating the, uh, the terms and conditions. But that would be the agent's job. That would be well, well, that as well. And then we would change our hats to be the publisher, and then you would negotiate the publishing terms on the film or TV. And so, what does this entail in, in pragmatic terms, uh, negotiating the publishing? Oh, well, it, 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 it's from the very prosaic in that you're ensuring that everything is properly registered. Okay. And with the collective societies. With the collective societies. And then, because we are an independent, we have a network of sub-publishers throughout yeah. the world. Like music, music sales? Uh, usually, yeah, usually companies, we usually look for independents like ourselves. Okay. In Paris, we work with Velvetica. I don't know if you've come across that in your world. Okay. 
so we have uh, a sub-publisher in each territory, mm -hmm. and so once the work is registered, you then inform your sub-publishers that this film is showing in their territory at this time, I see. and then they make sure the royalties are collected properly from their collection society. From their territories, yeah. And then the longer term thing is, uh, apart from collecting, you're also seeking to exploit that publishing if, you're, if the contract allows it. Yes. That you, you now have a library of songs which you can sell onto other projects. So we're talking here about um, a, um, a sync license Indeed, or yes. a master, I mean, this is perhaps. And, and can you also negotiate some master? Uh, uh, licenses or do you also... Well, we, we very rarely deal with master licenses because okay. they're usually owned by the record companies. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, or if it was a film or a TV, then the production company would own the master more usually. Of course, yeah. Uh, so we, when we sync, it's obviously a good idea if we can also clear the master. Because if we get a brief and we put tracks forward, the nightmare is they choose your track and then you can't clear the master. So you have to go to the of label course. and then the label dis It's a mess. It's a, well, it's often more of a problem with much smaller labels because if, you, if you're doing a, a sync, it can be anything from £500 to £50,000. If you have a small struggling label suddenly thinks there's a big check here, mm -hmm. they can... Yeah, they can ask for too much and they can uh, harm that relationship. And because it has to move quite quickly, then the buyer will often just move on. If there's any delay, of course, yeah. they will just go Especially if you have the times in the world. It's, yeah, it needs to be really snappy. And, uh, tell me about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it needs to be done yesterday. Why, um, why is it advertised that agencies always ring with the brief on Friday afternoon and tell you they need it first thing on a Monday? Oh my God, is that what? right? Yeah. Is that what uh, they do? It's Probably they do it on purpose. No? I, I have no idea why they do that. I think the week passes them by, then they, they suddenly realise there's something they haven't done. <gasps> <laughs> I don't know, but they're notorious. Is that a nice wine? But we still, um, it's very acceptable. Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Which, so so you going, going right back to the beginning, we started yes. with a single composer, uh, then we built our composer roster over the next few years, then some of our composers were asking if we could recommend a publisher. We looked around, we couldn't really find one which specialised in media music. So really? At the time? At that the time? Be like what, the nineties, um, right? It was the nineties, yeah. yeah. Late nineties. Late nineties. And, and the reason we got the job with the composer who was writing for Disney is that yeah. his publisher was being obstructive and demanding that they kept the publishing. Mm. But that, that never, not gonna that happen never happened. With Disney, especially with Disney. Yeah, on Disney. <laughs> on Disney. We had a phone call with a Disney lawyer, I remember well, uh, and he said if we would forego one aspect of the rights, we could keep all the money that was collected from the cinema box office in the States. And that might have passed us by because we were relatively inexperienced, but I'd worked for Performing Rights Society, PRS, and I knew okay. that they don't collect at the box office in America. Mm. So he was just trying to... And we confronted him with this and he laughed and he said, look, I work for Disney, I have to get the best deal I can. He just laid out the reality of it, whereas we were... 
as we do now. We try and build relationships and be honest and straightforward. Mm. And he was saying, don't make that mistake. When you're dealing with Disney or Universal or Warner's, you know, they're, they're just looking for the best thing and they don't really care mm. how you do it. It's, it's not me. Um, I read the, um, a, a book about the, the um, foundation of CAA, the mm -hmm. creative agency, which of course is, is massive today. And um, one of the founders, Michael, named Michael, I can't remember his surname, but he actually moved to Disney at some point late, later in his career. And um, uh, he didn't really like it, so his, his, his wife, ex-wife actually reported uh, a, a, a joke. Uh, one of the famous directors who, who, um, who had dealings with Disney said, so how is it like uh, working for uh, Mousewitz? <laughs> Mousewitz. <laughs> yes, that's cool, but <laughs> and I read that, I was like laughing in my bed, I couldn't help myself. That's pretty, Mousewitz. pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so backtracking is slightly, so you said you worked for PRS for mm -hmm. some time, but before those, the, 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 this founding of Manners McDay 20 years ago, what, what, what was it you were up to? Bob? You mean what, were, what jobs were yeah. we in at that time? Well, Okay, yeah, what, what were you doing? Well, I was, I was still at the PRS, that was the end of okay. my and I was pretty fed up of it. And <laughs> if you follow the news, you can read that it's still a basket case of a company. It's still having major problems. They've just replaced the chief executive yet again. Yeah, Robert Ashcroft, right? Yeah, so he's they, gone. Yeah. And now they have. Uh, Couldn't believe that guy was paid 1.5 million per Arto. year. I was like, Joe. well, and, and someone told me, yeah, but he's got to pay for his divorce, right? I was like, yeah, well, it's a lot of money, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, I, in the end, Why do you think it's like uh, it's bad? I mean, look at the, the Spanish guy, it's terrible. They just got fined, actually, by the antitrust authority. No competition. It, it, there's no right, competition yeah. to PRS. It's they the same can, in France. They can be fucking awful, but they don't, pardon my language, mm. but they don't lose any business. Because no, where else do you go? You know, we're just fine. Um, well, well, I mean, yes, although there's, there's been an opening of the market a few years ago when um, a new regulation from the EU allowed um, uh, composers to actually register with yes, whatever EU-based uh, uh, collecting society they wanted. So um, that created a little, a tiny bit of competition. But from what I'm, my, my understanding is, PRS is supposed to be one of the best collecting societies. Uh, it's, it's frightening to think that. But yes, dealing with Gamer, for example, Gamer, Gamer. Gamer the German collection society, oh, get me up. Right, they yeah, still yeah. exist in the 1970s. Everything's right. on paper. Yeah, well, probably everything is in German as well, so yeah. if you're not a German speaker, you're a bit dead. So, uh, so they're kind of slow and very bureaucratic. Really? Um, Sassen is, it seems to have reinvigorated itself. Interesting. Yeah. With Jean-Michel Tron? Yeah, the absolutely. They seem to be much more on the ball. Wow. Oh, yes, I, I went to um, uh, the, the Mama two years ago and they were showing the new um, so software you know, for um, for uh, members to be able to check their yeah. um, statement. It seemed to be really on top of uh, everything IT. Uh, and, got, um, and now there's Impel with a digital rights collection, and yeah. that's oh, yeah, kind right. of that's taking swept the rug from underneath PRS because people are saying, okay, we're going with Impel instead, uh -huh. like we do. Okay. So. 
So yes, hopefully the new chief executive will start it out. She's okay. from a purely business background. What's her name actually? I've never. Uh, I can't. Remember. Okay. Sorry, I'm not even sure she's in position yet. I read the press release. Oh, it's, it's, it's she's completely from outside of music. Yeah, but it's happening at the moment, right? Yeah, uh, Robert Ashcroft is just about to leave. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So it's exciting, um, but not quite yet. Right? So it's interesting times. So hopefully, because she's from a purely business background. Yeah. And I think sometimes they get too tied up in the idea of it being part of the music industry, mm -hmm. which it is, strictly speaking. Yeah, for sure. But it's more about data and money. Nowadays, yes. It, it's, forget, they have no creative input, so why do they continue to pretend they do? <laughs> I don't know. So I was, okay. I was, so I was working with them almost. In which capacity? Where, where were you? In which team were you? Oh, they, they um, asked me to do their marketing because they'd not done any marketing mm. at all. Okay. And their entire approach was to send letters to people saying, "You, you play music in your shop. You must buy a license. If you don't, they'll be Fair prosecuted." Enough. Yeah. So it, it was all. It's not very good marketing, but it was all. It was all stick and no carrot, basically. There was no sense. In, and we tried to add value and say, okay, explain okay. why it was advantageous to play music in your business. And we are, I'll take credit, we um, commissioned academic research into the effects of music in various environments like restaurants, bars, shops. Excellent. Uh, which was very successful. Um, simple things like if you play classical music, and then ask people whether what their impressions of it, they give a much more favourable impression than if you play drum and bass. Right. It's really simple stuff. And they, you can find out how you can make people move around a shop quicker. Or, For music? Yeah. So there are ways you can use it subliminally. Mm -hmm. Not so there's messages underneath that nobody no, can no, hear, no, 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 but just yeah. in terms of how it changes people's perceptions of sure. your prices and your atmosphere and your. Yeah. And poppy music, I suppose, pop music to uh, you know enhance sales. It completely depends on the on the Jeffrey. demographic of your customer base, uh -huh. etc. And the, all. so that that was my attempt to change the culture, so it wasn't mm -hmm. just knocking on and, doors. And saying, bring value, bring value and to bring the business. Yes. Even my law firm, Preferby, actually received a uh, a letter like this from SSM asking. Um, please do uh, do pay your royalties because uh, because you are a French business. I'm like I don't play any music in my law firm, you know, offices. So, 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 so anyway, that's yeah, it's, it's that idea. If you play music in an office, you must pay a bill. So, uh -huh. so, they, so they were purely knocking on doors and saying it's the law. Mm. Give me your money, and obviously that creates a lot of resentment. Yeah. Uh, so we just tried to change the whole thing. So and bring value to it. And bring value to it and explain yeah. why it was a good idea yeah. and yeah. why this license was worth the money. How long did you stay in this role for, Bob? <sighs> well, I stayed in the role after we actually established the company because... Really? Well, Literally. for revenue, yeah, yeah, to pay the mortgage, simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, you must have worked quite your socks off and two jobs. It was very easy at PRS. Okay. <laughs> there was little or no discipline whatsoever. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I remember 98, the 98 World Cup, I think I saw just about every game during the day. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. 
it was it was easy work. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, after a while, you realise you're not really. Well, look, you've leveraged your You're, you're, you're getting no sort of uh, satisfaction from what you do. Uh, right. You, and the company was very resistant to this. Yeah. There were the the, the, pe the people on the ground who knocked on the doors saw themselves as law enforcers and they were very My resistant gosh. to yeah. any change. I remember we did a conference and got them together and asked them simple questions like what, what's your favourite piece of music? Mm -hmm. And some of them had no answer. And we all So they were not passionate about music They anyway. didn't care about music at all. Wow. Uh, and we would take them to see live music. I can't believe people live like this, you know, just a well, job well, we, 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 we took them on mass to see some live music and it was this beautiful evening and several of them, well, it wasn't an admission from them, but they had never seen live music before. Wow. It's quite extraordinary and these are the people they were sending out to knock on doors and say, well, look, no, so you brought something important to me. <laughs> They're still using that research. <laughs> also, were you already married with Catherine at the time, or was, I mean, were you already a partnership together, or? Uh, yes, we okay. we got together in '99, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, '99. So was that before you set up the company, Matt? That was before. Yes. Okay. Uh, we were both unhappy in our jobs, and well, I was unhappy. You were both I was kind unhappy. of unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. uh, for Catherine, she was working for a large music publishers and right. she was working, my wife has a, a far more illustrious background in music than do I. My background is working in record shops before I went to PRS and DJing. It's not as cool as my wife who had worked on projects with Stockhausen and Philip Glass and managed Sir John Taverner. That's cool. Managed who? Sir John Taverner. I don't know him. Uh, well, he's dead now. He was um, okay. he was the first man to release anything on Apple Records, which is the Beatles label. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And he scored New Year at the Millennium Dome. Mm -hmm. He scored the music that was played at midnight. So a prestigious he, British. He, oh, God, oh, yeah. He was very established. Sir very, John's Avener. Sir John Taverner. And he we, he wrote a piece of music that was played at Diana's funeral. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. So he, yeah, he's very established, very well regarded. Okay. Um, so that was her background, much more classical. Mine was much more less formal. I, I, I'm starting to discover uh, to, to discover the music of Philip Glass, by the way. Mm -hmm. Is he British or is he no, German? He's American. Uh, New Yorker. Right, right, right. He was. Um, how, how, come, how, how come she started working with him? Because of the, the business that she was working for were, okay. were their publishers. I'm trying not to name them. Right. Because the reason okay. she was unhappy is the company was run by an old man who'd run it forever mm -hmm. and he didn't like promoting women past a certain point because... Really? Yeah. Gosh. It was very obvious and it became very obvious to my wife when a position opened and they employed somebody and she just thought he's nowhere near as mm. good at his job as am I so that that was where she gave up really mm. and realised that was no there was she couldn't go any further within that organisation. Yeah. So. Well yeah, I mean it happens to I suppose quite a lot of people. I mean I've got I know this couple who we are making custom jewelry out of New York. Um, 
Benamun is a very brand, and the Manavits, um, they always say, you know, if you really want to make, to start making real money, you need to have your own business. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, for those who have an entrepreneurial streak, I guess, because you need to find the clients, but um, if and, you do, and, and then I agree that's the best way to make real money. Her experiences are reflected in the company today, because just about all our staff for women. Okay. Now, I'm not saying we discriminate against men. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean in terms of your roster of, um, of composers? You, you, well, we, we represent more women than any other agency. Okay. But in terms of the stuff, they're, they're really all women. I think that's funny because it was actually a, a question that I had set out on my email to, to you prior to this. Uh, since we're on, on this point, um, actually, are there quite a lot of female composers? Because it's quite a lonely job, like, you know. Initially, I suppose, when you're writing the score and perhaps the lyrics as well, if there are any. Studios are still very much male-dominated. Oh, is that right? Uh, it's the engineers. Which, like in the recording uh, yeah. recording. It's still a very male environment. So, therefore... And there's still a... Um, even amongst those people who are commissioning the work, mm -hmm. they're still underlying the outward displays of equality, they're still quite, they prefer sitting down with a man, uh -huh. you know, really? it's still But and, so, and in terms of ladies who join, um, when, I, when you want to become a music composer, surely you must go to um, the Royal Academy of Music or this sort of, um, of um, uh, schools or, or Well, well in, in London it's the NFTS, the National Film and Television School. Even for music, for film, film composers? Not, uh, NFTS is, is... An awful lot of our composers come from the NFTS. How interesting. And we attend uh, uh, every year they have the final films made by the students who are passing out and we go and see those to see if there's any obvious talents on display. Oh really? You're yeah. doing like a wild casting? <laughs> well, we, 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 love, we love taking Fantastic. young composers. Yeah, and, sure. and sure. The traditional path is you find um, an assisting job with an established composer. Mm -hmm. That's how ah, you start your career. Okay. And that way you're on the inside, so you're getting to know everybody. And it's, that's the traditional route. And do you see quite a lot of ladies coming out of the NFTS? What do you call that degree? Is it the uh, film, music, composition degree? Yeah, it's a composition. Yes. Composition. Media composition, I, I forget what right, they call right. it. Particularly, um, is it like split? even in the even in the time we've been doing that? There's yeah. there's far more women than there used to be. It used to be almost a, a male preserve. Because you see, for example, for the legal profession, mm -hmm. it used to be um, definitely skewed towards men joining uh, university to study law. I'm talking about the French um, uh, uh, data here. Yeah. But now it's like seventy percent of the of the uh, young graduates who actually join university in the law uh, department are actually females. So I think we're almost in a time when things are changing positively in that it's not just lip service mm -hmm. that, that, that you can see women coming through yeah okay and even though even the most sexist of men understand that it's no longer in their interest to you know what I discourage said? or undermine what, 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 what I always say is because I see it in my law firm you know it's um, the market will talk you know the market yeah, will absolutely. give you some, some feedback yeah. if they love what you do whether you are a man or a woman is irrelevant. If they just um, if, you, if they just like what you do, then uh, then you, you're in. You know. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. so that's that's the way. But there's there's interesting ways that 
industries will look to look to change things through the through the constitution. So they will say we must give. We've noticed uh, something like Sachi, I believe Sachi do this. Okay. They have to a percentage of their commissions have to go to female-owned companies. Seriously? Yeah. So that's a good they way. They set up of, some quotas, like positive yes, discrimination. Yeah. And that creates positive change. Well, that's okay. Well, in, okay, that's that's quite full on, I think. But yeah. well, okay, well, if it works, it works. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, we get to a point where you don't need to do that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh well. But but <laughs> we're still not quite there, are we? So when I was studying the market for my client, um, this film composer I, I mentioned at mm -hmm. the beginning of a podcast, um, I noticed he, he mentioned your your your, your agency, Manners McDade, obviously, and then I looked at the market, you know, to understand how this field, this this very niche field of agencies. Um, representing uh, music composers for film and advertising and gaming um, uh, music and projects mm -hmm. is, is set up and I saw that Manus McDade is really at the very top of, um, of a crop here. So did you have a business plan with Catherine to, um, to turn it into this somehow powerhouse that it is today? Or? It feels from my perspective it's felt it's a been a very gradual build of the country. Yeah, what is it? Uh, I'm not sure we've ever sat down and had a solid plan. We just leave ourselves in a position where we can take opportunities. I think that's a big thing, that you are nimble enough, you are deft enough, yeah. that if, a, if an opportunity comes, you can take it because you're not you're not too structured, you're not too rigid. What sort of opportunities are you referring to here? Do you have an example? <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, like you mean you need a, a commission coming in or? I, I suppose sometimes we, we've been asked if we can involve ourselves on a project that we have no real experience of. Okay. And our, we don't really think about it, we just say yes. We can do that, Gosh. and then we go away and try and find out how to do this. <laughs> That's daring. Uh, but it keeps it interesting, it keeps you... Like, like what, for example, say, we have a show, well, a live I, I, show, I, I, and okay. we need you to, um, to do to work on the music background of it? Is that, for example, a sort of um, brief you would well, get? Uh, or? So going into book publishing, we've done some book publishing. We know nothing about book publishing, we're not from that background. But a client asked, he said that was a stipulation that of his contract he would sign with us if we could facilitate making this book for him. What a book about what? Uh, it was sheet music with pictures and art in there and so we just said yes of course we can and then afterwards we went, what the hell are we going to do? How do we do this? Who do we know? Yeah, I mean just start. So how, do, how do you get paid on such projects? I mean, do you take a commission, uh, like a, a percentage of what is it's going usually to be? royalties are nothing on the book anyway, you know, so... No, indeed. Yes. We, we, do, we do quite a lot of work which has no... There's no straight yeah, thread of revenue. Yeah, okay. You do this because it... it, it to be on the rapport. Solidity, absolutely. The oh, French yeah. Yeah, you solidify that relationship, they trust you more, they see you as, yeah, they see you as being able to do these things. They, uh, 
if they've been to other companies and said we would also, as part of the contract, we also want to do this book, and the other company said that's not our business, you have to go somewhere else. Right. Well, for them, that was the deal break. They're okay. just looking for the person who says, yeah, of course we can do that. Because that, that should be what you're looking for. In your, so you, you, you mentioned, thank you so much, it's, it's really interesting to, not interesting, but it's, it's really fascinating to understand how you make your choices, you know, your, your, your business choices. But so... Neither, you, neither of us have an MBA. We haven't right. been to business. You've got your intuition. And it, well, it, it, yeah. uh, I've, for me personally, a personal thing, I, I didn't... I was thinking, will my mum ever hear this? I, I never really, <laughs> I never really had a father figure who I liked. I didn't really like my father, but the guidance he gave me was, I would think, what would my father do in this situation? And then I'd do the opposite of that. And think, well, that must be the right thing to do. And it served me quite well. And we kind of, because my wife and I were both unhappy in our jobs, we think, well, what would they have done? I'll do the opposite of that, and that will probably be the right thing to do. <laughs> so you are contrarians? So, contrarians? Well, I'm a contrarian. My wife can't switch, but I'm very much contrarian. <laughs> and it just means the way we treat our staff, the way we, um, the way we run our business it is, is a bit more joyous and a bit more happy and a bit more about thinking I want to be able to sleep at night, I don't want to cheat anybody, I want to be honest with everybody. Yeah. Having experienced those things where you put in positions where you're lying to a client when you work for a business because they say, no, don't tell them that, tell them this. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you don't have any autonomy, that's so frustrating. So when you've got autonomy, you think, well, this, you should look to create the best of all possible worlds. It's not about the bottom. We very rarely look at the bottom line. Yeah. We do the business and hope at the end well, of the year. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you, are, you are lucky that it, it's, it's working very well uh, this well, way. I don't live in a big house. <laughs> Neither do <laughs> but I. That's okay, but I Neither sleep. Well. I sleep <laughs> well. and, and the people who work for us are all, uh, we maintain a relationship team when they leave. Well, we're very happy. Yeah. Well, and, and you. you, you it, your, your agency is, is truly prestigious in the market. You have a, you have a young executive that managing director, but mm -hmm. you've, uh, you've uh, uh, instructed, mandated your wife, and, and you. I think she probably has has a business plan or an agenda, as you were saying. Oh, she, she does. Wants to she does. But she, she really, in her previous life, before she worked with us, mm -hmm. she remembered. I hope she won't mind me. She remembered every morning in the shower, crying, and thinking, come on, you can do this, you can do this. Oh, because she didn't like her job? Because she hated her job, because her boss Gosh. was a monster. Okay. Sorry, again, anybody <laughs> listening to this. But, um, it's, again, it's just thinking, I do not want anybody to feel that way mm. working for me. Yeah. They should be happy Fair and supported enough. and, yeah. Well, yeah, and she's very young as well, so it's great you gave her such a. a she is, but she has mandate. the energy which perhaps as people in our mid fifties we yeah. kind of lack her energy and drive. She has so much energy and drive, and she's already very well thought of within the industry. Right. And what uh, is her name again? Harriet Moss. 
She's uh, and our client, the age of clientele is is coming down. Mm -hmm. Actually, you were just saying down that your the age, the average age of your of your roster of clients is coming down. Mm -hmm. You were saying that you also scout, so to speak, at the NFTS uh, annual. A do or or yeah. uh, like opening um, uh, show and and so are these? Uh, uh, I mean, how do you select those composers? Is it word of mouth or? It's completely based on our own perception of their work. So, do we like it? Is it interesting? But how do you get in contact with these people? Oh, there's they're peculiar peoples. Well, we're lucky in that usually, unless they're already established and have relationships, usually they're desperate for us to get in touch with them. I know. And in fact, most of the time we don't have to because they get in touch with us. I see. So they come to you. Yeah. We, we get lots and lots of submissions. Okay. And within, and we listen to everything that's saying to you, which is oh. some things you don't need to listen to for more than a couple of minutes and you know it's not suitable or it's not of a certain standard or it's not for us as an agency so it's quite straightforward actually finding do you know, actually okay great and sometimes we hear we hear somebody will come to the office and say i saw them i say blew my mind the music was unbelievable and we just see if that person's represented with a represented by mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if they're already with an agency then we don't contact them okay because we just feel yeah if, if they were unhappy we'd know about it <laughs> and I don't want to to poach people's it doesn't seem like a good idea I yeah. wouldn't like it to happen. it's small so, so, yeah, yeah it's sure. a small and do they are they all able to actually read and write music and the reason why I'm asking this is because the composer I um, I represented a couple of years back he he didn't know how to write and, uh, and um, it was unbelievable, so he was doing everything by ear, but he couldn't write and read, read, read music. I, I was it's, really in awe at what he was able to achieve. It's not a deal breaker, but especially for media composition, if you're writing for film, mm -hmm. it really helps because you may have an orchestrator or an arranger or you have to give uh, the sheet music to the musicians in the studio. Right. You kind of have to. But not always. There are people who are, who are savant is perhaps the wrong word, but they they found a way to do it without having that skill. But they usually need somebody to transcribe the exactly. music for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which, which is quite a job in itself. Yeah. And, and within that environment, which is quite competitive then as yeah that would yeah be seen as a disadvantage whether it was or not yeah and these um kids coming out of the nfts did they go to a, a music college or, did, or, did, or did usually they, yeah. yeah usually they would have already had their music degree mm -hmm. uh, in this country leeds is a big Place they go, Leeds University. They do a Leeds big, University to yeah, have a, they do a big music. music course. Okay, but then often those courses are about they're not specific to media composition. It's okay, you can write music, but writing to picture is a skill in itself. Yeah, yeah. So you can't just take a composer and write for my film. They might not be able to do that. 
No, no, it's, it's as you said, it's, yeah, it's, it's a skill in itself. Yeah, so therefore, hence the second so that's layer the of, of finishing training Absolutely, at the NFTNCS, yeah. of course. It's a finishing school, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but not the, the one for young ladies in Switzerland, a bit more in-depth <laughs> on that. Um, um, do, they, do they usually play music instruments, those kids? Yeah, they do. Almost 100% of the time. Okay. Is there a particular instrument that they play? Piano or...? Strings uh, in, in general? I'm, I'm thinking through all kinds, and most of them play several instruments. Several? Gosh. I, th I think the, if you if you took me now and started teaching me how to play something, yeah. I, I would never have, no matter what, I would never reach beyond a certain rudimentary level. Regardless of the quality of the teaching, of, uh, music is, you have a facility for music. Just yeah, as I mean, people have a facility for acting or any of the arts, you, it, there's something innate which allows you to flourish mm -hmm. that puts you on that path. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I have two brothers, and uh, we, the three of us, we we are all musically trained. Okay. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned, in the flute as well as piano, and we all went to music schools as well to learn music composition, music, you know, lip reading, etc, etc. And um, I don't know when you are like five or six years old, it's it's, it's okay, you know, you do this uh, one hour every night to play your instrument, yeah. if you have a time. But um, it's also a lot of, uh, it, 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 I mean, you, you learn the discipline as well, so, and it's nice extracurricular activity. Um, but you're right, I think it definitely needs to be done at least starting when you are young. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. That discipline, was that discipline enforced or was it innate in you that you thought, here's my hour for playing the flute? Or was it a parent saying, come and practice the flute? Uh, not in my case. Probably more for my brother, Benjamin, where my mum had to say, look, you've got to play the clarinet here. <laughs> Um, it's so, a big decided. Because your teacher has told you that you need to play one hour every night. Okay. Um, but as far as I was concerned, no, I, I didn't have to be to be pushed. But when when you were going to your weekly uh, teachings, the, the teacher would tell you you need to rehearse every uh, every uh, evening one hour. So uh, I gave you quite a you know high goal to achieve. But yeah. So, okay, so these kids are really multi-talented, they yeah. play several instruments, they can, uh, I mean, score, write music. Do they also write lyrics or is that another skill in itself to write? Oh, that's a skill in itself. It's a skill in itself. And, and also, I'd say you can be, the reason perhaps they go to the NFTS is that in my experience, you can have people who can write music, but they can't write music to picture. But equally, you can have people who can write music to picture. But if you say, we, if somebody, if somebody applies to us to desire and representation, yeah. we'll ask for their music. Sure. What do you Don't write when there's no picture? And quite often they have nothing. They have nothing. Because they are trained to write to a picture. Without that stimulus, they, they, they can't have a don't know where to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are plenty of our, of our clients who are multi-talented, who can write music for themselves or for pitch or for whatever, but there are those who, who are very focused on meeting music. I think that was our experience, your, your composer, yeah. he had written music, but it was, 
it didn't have a voice, it was kind of an imaginary film. Yes. Here's some danger, here's some romance. And that's very different from what's inside. I, I'm talking to somebody at the moment, with, I'm commissioning him to write an album. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's... An album for... My label. My... I have a record label. It's, okay. uh, it's tiny. Okay. Tiny and insignificant. But he is about to become a father for the first time. Mm-hmm. He's reading philosophy. He's interested in climate change. So there are all these threads going into his music that are coming up that he's trying to express. But some people can't do that. What, what are you going to do with the album? That he's oh, we will release it. Oh, to release it, right, okay. That's but that's like a, a piece which has nothing to do with Nothing to do with, it's, with it's video It's purely content. music. Okay. It stands alone. Hopefully we can see. Is that it. just a pet project or? Uh, that was my fiftieth. <laughs> they call me so that. that was my fiftieth birthday present, ah! and my wife said, "What would you like?" Ah, very kind. And I said, "I'd like a record label." Really? Which she thought was cheaper than buying me a Porsche. Not like an affordable. But is that a joke? <laughs> well, you know, some men get to their fifties and they acquire <laughs> something to make them feel young. Um, and I guess that was the same thing with me. I fancied a record label as a, as a project from scratch, figuring out how this works. You learn by doing. Mm, sure, sure. What I've you learned need to put is. It on Spotify and all the, uh, the streaming sites. Yeah. And we've done very well. It took three years to break even because I spent so much bloody money on it. Yeah, well. But it was, a, it was a labour of love. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed the whole process. So you broke even after three years and um, yeah, through six, etc. Ah. Through syncing the music, yeah. Through syncing as well. Yeah. Okay, that's so syncing plus the royalties coming from the streaming. Although it was a very expensive album. We recorded it at great studios, we hired the best musicians we could find. and Right! Oh, so it wasn't stuff that he was doing on his, on his computer, because no. that's what my client used to do. He used to do most of the stuff on no, his computer. No, he did it properly. He did the draft on his computer, and then we went into the studio and we hired And you recorded it properly. Where did you record? Uh, I'm really very close to the. Um, uh, to the studio where the Beatles were recording, you know, in um, Abbey Road. Yeah, in Abbey Road. Yeah. And we went to the other one, which is uh, Air Studios, which is George Martin's. Okay. All right. Yeah. He was the producer. He built Air Studios for himself. I see. Where is this? Uh, it's in Hampstead. Yes. It's not too far. Yeah. It's uh, from the uh, church, but it's beautiful. Uh, right. Wood-paneled building. It's just fantastic. I, I just love being there. Oh, yeah, sure, have this fantastic. And, and we worked with Peter Gregson, who's amazing, and Thomas Gould, who's now head of the Britain Symphonia. And yeah, we just had all these brilliant people. What do you mean, like, to, to recruit the. Uh, to to record the album, yeah. So it was just a, a fantastic experience, which I enjoyed. Do you know, I, I used to be uh, a member of a, a Woodwind Ensemble uh, um, uh, before I founded my firm in 2012 here in London. And um, when I was still working in uh, very large law firms, and so we would rehearse every Tuesday night, if I remember well. And the one project I really, really enjoyed is when actually we did some recording sessions for a composer who had written some, um, uh, yeah, some, had, you know, some, 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 some music for a particular project, and then we recorded that, etc. So we were, we were not, uh, we were not. We didn't. We had to be very careful not to make any noises. Love that. It was really. Um, it was. Uh, yeah. It was really 
a joyful experience. The rest of the rehearsal was a bit painful, but but yeah. you know when you we, we would see this um, pinnacle of um, like this achievement, and then you could hear yourself afterwards um, when it was being edited, etc. I found it fantastic. Most of the time, we were actually recording in churches for some reason right. in the weekends or my weekends. <laughs> it was okay. I, I loved it. Um, well, as somebody, you see, with zero talent. I have an Why do you say that? Because I have no musical talent whatsoever. Maybe maybe you didn't have a chance to But it is, it is a thing which meant I could make a big contribution yeah. and have an executive producing credit. And that was that was worth everything. Oh I thought but why I do you say don't have any talent while you are able to actually pinpoint exactly what are the strengths and the weaknesses of a composer whenever you listen to the music. I yeah, was I was cool. really struck, you know, when you gave me all this extreme insightful feedback about oh, this so client. This, this, seriously, this music composer, I was oh gosh, he's so he's so on the money, you know, in in, in his uh, assessment of that's just experience though. That's experience. Although that's a skill in itself. This is this is uh, <sighs> this is talent. Yeah. I would never have said that to a composer. Yeah, it was only I remember our exchange yeah. and I said, look, the, when a composer says, what do you think of my music, right. I'm never honest. Is it because we've got too much of an ego? Is it? Well, yeah, yeah you tell them to, these are people who have worked by themselves in a room by themselves and created this thing and then it goes out in the world yeah. and to have some completely untalented, musically untalented guy like me say, I don't like that music, it's just, it's too cruel in a way. Because I admire it because they have this facility which I do not possess, so it's not for me to criticise them to their face. I think they've done something that I could not do anyway. Right. But don't you see it more as a as constructive feedback so that they improve their uh, They're very output? Sensitive. They're no, that, very that sensitive. I know. Well, I do think that the, <laughs> there you go. I, I, I do think that the feedback that, that which I then passed on to this okay. client of mine who is music because I think it was useful for him. Because okay, good. you know, the fact that you said that he, he, he needed to develop his own style and that yeah. because of all these different jobs that he had in the advertising industry then he had he was a bit of a chameleon, being able to uh, change his style every, every for every job. So he also needed to yeah. develop his style. You need I think to it was, develop your own voice, your exactly, own style. Exactly, as you yeah. were saying. And uh, oh, on this note, actually, I remember when you mentioned that two years ago, you cited Johan Johansen mm -hmm. as having developed his own voice. What whatever happened with this guy? Did he? Did he? Did he? It was an overdose, right, in Berlin. He overdosed. There's a, there's a culture with it. I'm not sure if it particularly applies to him, and I can't claim to. I know people who know him yeah. or knew him. Yeah. I can't claim to know for certain. I was sad. But there's a certain uh, culture in music, which is why it's been male dominated to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. In the studio, it's like men boasting that I've been in the studio for 48 hours, I've been in the studio for 72 hours. That's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So as, it, as if there's nothing else, this is all there is, it's that male fixation on one thing, which is not a, a feminine trait, if you'll forgive me for saying this is feminine, that is masculine, but women are not anal like men, in that they don't, yeah. So there, there was a great Except thing. Margaret Thatcher. Hmm? Except Margaret Thatcher. 
There was this French musician called Renaud who actually made a song about Margaret, Margaret Thatcher and it was like, uh, yeah, she's, 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 she's more vi viril than any man around, but it was just a joke. So, um, yeah, it's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do you think this is what happened? He basically exhausted himself and probably resorted to coke um, and, uh, uh, and bang, uh, talked to himself. I think he was taking amphetamines in order to stay awake for longer so he could uh, like keep Jenny working. And like but he was, he's quite a big guy, yeah. so, so his heart eventually... Is that got, what happened? Oh, well, right. I don't know. I do. I'd like to vulgarize yeah. my disclaimer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's my best okay. guess. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Thing is, I suppose that recording costs, and you know, uh, studio costs are pretty high. So it's probably why you they sort of do it. It's, it's more an obsessional thing. Is it thing. really? Yeah, it's more okay. a mad obsession. Okay. It's like the the. Uh, it's a funny. It's a funny story actually. Um, when the uh, income tax rate. Um, uh, went up 70%, uh, as I'm sure you know, the Rolling Stones immigrated to France, right? Yeah. And they went to this uh, uh, French villa, which is on the peninsula of um, uh, uh, Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat, which is a very, very uh, smart and posh neighborhood of south of France. Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat, and they were in this, this villa, but they were playing and jamming up until five or six in the morning. So they got kicked out of a residence, the local residence just couldn't stand, you know, they just couldn't stand it, they were on drugs all the time. And they were jamming, they actually they were starting working at 1 or 2 a.m. And they would just work the whole night, record the whole night. And so after, after uh, one or two months, they, both the residents just uh, kicked them out. <laughs> that was the end of the exit in France, the exile in France. <laughs> it's a miracle that they have managed to survive. Oh, I saw Ronnie, I saw Ronnie, the Ronnie, Ronnie Wood. Ronnie Wood in the street, uh, actually on the South Bank uh, with his young wife. With his young wife. And his, his young two baby, years you know. old uh, 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 twin daughters, and they were going to, to, to the Tate two weeks ago. must have all had mass organ transplants or something. Else. <laughs> How are they, they still were, walking they were cute. The they were cute, they were cute. Um, anyway, so, how so? How how is that? So I understand the supply chain on the um, on the creative side in terms of you finding all these composers and nurturing their skills, making them find their own voices. Mm -hmm. But then, how does it work in final in terms of finding some assignments for? Um, so do you work mostly for independent film studios or film? Production houses, or also for majors, like the Disney and Universal and one of this world, or Sony's of this world. Props. A thing, a circumstance that has changed massively over just the last few years right. is that previously, unless you had an LA agent, you had no chance of working in LA. So you, you, the director might want you, the producer might want you, but if you're represented by a an yeah. agent in Paris or Berlin or London, yeah. they're not interested. You have to have an LA agent. So that was always a bar. Is there a reason why they are like this? Well, it's an industry town. It looks after itself, doesn't yeah. it? One thing that yeah. I noticed when I was in LA um, two or three years ago is that it's very 
uh, it's, it's a microcosm, and oh, they just—it's a space. I mean, I'm not. Well, no wonder it's called Los Angeles. You know, the Angels—that's yeah. that town. But it's very spacey, and people are very um, in, inward-looking. You know, and, um, and they're a bit scared of the rest of the world. Um, and also because of the difference of the time zones with Europe, it, it, they, they seem to be really like in their own world and the floating, you know, on the, uh, I love it because I'm, I'm myself quite, you know, a bit spacey sometimes and uh, up there in the, in the clouds and, um, uh, but, 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 uh, so I love it, but I did notice that they were not the most interested in the rest of the world kind of people, so. Everything yeah. is in LA. It's yeah, yeah, everything yeah. they need. That entire infrastructure is local, and so they keep it that way. But that has changed because the major studios are not yet been accepted. But so much work is coming up. Netflix and Amazon sure. and Google are starting, and Apple are going to start. But, but these guys are they are headquartered in um, in Burbank yeah. and um, and uh, Culver City and everything. So but the, are they more open minded? Oh, cool, yeah. Okay. In terms of where the, if if you look at the what Netflix and Amazon and all the rest are producing, yeah, it, it's much more international. Well, they go on all the film markets. I mean, it's not complicated when you whenever you go to the Berlin 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 and the Berlin film market or in Cannes, in the first week, the Netflix and Amazon Prime of this world just do their markets and they take all the best yeah. um, all the best content. And so after the indies, they're like, oh my god, I don't have the money to pay for this and this and this, and then. They just select the best, yeah. um, Netflix and um, and Amazon Prime. Because so, they don't. Are they all, yeah, it's true. But they they just, don't spend too much time thinking about it. No, they've got such deep pockets. I mean, all this cash we're yeah. making, you know, every month for all these subscriptions, we need to reinvest them in something. And the LA-based studios are quite conservative in their approach because they want to control everything. Mm -hmm. That's very different. Here it is. Take you know, very different. Yeah. So, so the, the, that has changed and. So we're good finding without it is good for us without even finding without having an LA office. Yeah, we find ourselves working on projects that we would normally, if it was if it was LA based, we wouldn't get anywhere near. The whole thing has changed, which is lovely. So yeah, for sure. So how does that work? So does this mean that you have? You are in contact, in touch with uh, uh, Amazon Prime and the Netflix guys who are here in London, or do you have to do back and forth Los Angeles, London, Los Angeles to, to be able to talk to the decision makers over there, or, or you meet them at the I, markets? I think, I think they're just uh, the streaming platforms. They're not so LA focused, so you don't need well you don't need to go there to meet Netflix. I see because they're in the Berlin or the Paris Film Festival yeah, or London yeah, yeah. or. So that's where you It's them. much more international. In the London offices or at the, at the markets in the film markets. Uh, uh, Were you in Cannes two weeks ago? I did. You yes. did? Uh, well, I didn't go. Um, Someone uh, else. Our, our three of our staff are going next okay. week to Cannes Lion. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Fair yeah, enough. That's a big, big deal for us, yeah. Of course. And so uh, the other question I wanted to ask is why not get a Nelly agent? If that was an issue, why not make well, a, like a sort of alliance with a Nelly agent? Well, or maybe you did. Uh, we sort of did, yeah. Okay. We sort of did. Um, in that we found something and we thought... Because LA is a... It's, it's tough, huh? It's so tough. And everybody's just trying to... They will trample over yeah. the bodies of their enemies to like get that, to yeah. what they want, yeah. and it doesn't really 
go along with our ethos of yeah. my wife in a negotiation always says, look, there has to be a solution to this where we all walk we away do. with something we want. Maybe not everything we want, but we can all walk away with something. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whereas there it's much more doggy dog and right. I want everything. Super it's aggressive and it's male yeah. approach, yeah. Wow. A male approach. And again, that's another reason why it's changing because it is becoming Thank you for listening to our podcast, Lawfully Creative, produced by Crefervy Studios. Subscribe to our podcast or catch up and many more podcast aggregators and platforms. Please leave a review and rating about our podcast to encourage others to discover our curated content. Thank you.